Hi friends, I'm Anna. And I'm Renee. And you are listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. Welcome to our second vault episode of 2019 already. Yes, it's very fast. I've been releasing episodes on time. We're very excited for me. I am excited and proud. Today we are discussing two films our patrons chose for us. The first one is Clue and then the second one is 925. Both were released in the 80s, so today is 80s week on Fangirl Happy Hour. Or should I say Goobiest Week on Fangirl Happy Hour. Clue is a 1985 mystery comedy based on the board game of the same name. The film stars Eileen Brennan, Tim Curry, Madeline Kahn, Christopher Lloyd, Michael McKean, Martin Mull, and Leslie Ann Warren. Like the board game, when the film dropped into theaters, it had three possible endings, and different theaters received only one of the endings, which sounds like a fucking nightmare. When the film went to video, all three endings were included, and that's the version we watched, thankfully. But also, apparently, um, the last ending of the three is act- the actual official ending. I read about it. I like the first ending the best. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. But first, let's take a step back and tell me, Renee, is this the first time you watched Clue? Yes, it is. Yes, me too. Because it was never available in Brazil as far as I know. And I, I remember trying to find this freaking movie for so many years to watch it. I was never a player of the game. It was not one of my favorites. It was available in Brazil. It was called Detective, I think. But I was never like so much into it. But I was aware of of the cult love built around it. The point where there are so many movies, TV shows, books that do inside jokes about Clue, right? So it's very much part of a cultural makeup of our world, this game, which is which really fascinates me. And then finally watching the movie. Eh. Are we going to disagree? The 20 years that I have waited to watch this movie <laughs> kind of was a letdown. Oh, I'm sorry. For me, I didn't know anything about it. The only thing I knew was the meme with Mrs. White flames on the side of my face. What about the game? Did you know about the game? Yeah, I knew about the game. Like, I never got to play the game because I never had anybody to play it with. Being an only child is hard. I didn't really know what to expect from the movie because I knew the basics of the game. But I think of it as a kid's game for kids. When I would try to get adults to play it with me, they'd be like, I don't want to play that. That's a kid's game. They always wanted to play something boring like poker. Yeah, I find poker boring. Don't at me. Oh my god, that's gonna start the whole thing. Because I think of it as a kid's game, I went into this movie thinking, okay, this is gonna be like light and fluffy and slightly murderous. It was way different than I expected. It was still campy, obviously, but there was like a lot of extra murdering. Like, I thought just one person was gonna die, but like six people died. There was like pretending to have sex with like dead bodies. I guess it was a little bit diverting and amusing. It's the most I can say. I mean, it's a board game movie. If I had to put this on like a list 
it would still be the Mario movie that came out and then in the like the late eighties or nineties. I forget when. Oh my god, I deleted that from my memory. There was a Mario movie. <gasps> wow. Nothing can be as bad as that. As far as movies made from games go. As technology got better, we started seeing like video game movies. Like I remember when Advent Children was this huge deal. When what? Advent Children was a huge deal because Final Fantasy VII was so popular as a video game. They made a sequel movie called Advent Children. And then they made some kind of Assassin's Creed movie, but the main character was a white dude. So there's this interesting generational thing where even back then they were making video game movies. There was a so Mario movie, a Clue movie. And I just think it's funny the way that trends start and then they continue, but they change a little bit. But there's still the same thing. Like... I'm trying to think if there's a video game movie that I just really absolutely love, and I don't think there is an adaptation of a video game into a film. Video games are often like hour-long endeavors for me when I play a game, and a movie is like two hours, and you don't control it. So what's the fucking point? Games turned into movies. Let me see if I can find a list. Oh, I quite really liked the very latest Tomb Raider. I haven't seen that. I thought that was really awesome, actually. I, not that I ever played the actual game, but I really, really enjoyed the most recent movie. So you're right. I did like an uh, adaptation of a video game, Tomb Raider with Angelina Jolie, that whole series. I really liked that series. But the thing is, I never played Tomb Raider because I think it was on the N64 and I couldn't play N64 games because they made me motion sick. I just experienced Tomb Raider as a movie franchise, like as a movie franchise, not a video game franchise. Like I'm, that's why I think that's why I haven't seen the new Tomb Raider movie yet because I I love the new Tomb Raider game. So I'm afraid that if I watch the movie, I'm just going to have the same experience. And there are a lot of movies about games that can be good where the games don't actually exist, like Jumanji, for example, the original Jumanji. I thought that movie was really good. And I thought the remake of it was also not bad. Oh, really? I haven't watched the remake. Yeah, the remake just sort of doesn't take itself too seriously. Okay. I say that, having watched it while very tired. Like, generally speaking, in like the long stretch of film history, like it wasn't the worst thing possible as like diverting fun for two hours. So that was my problem, I think, with Clue, was that I just wanted to play the game. I got tired of like murder after murder after murder with like no resolution and like over the top acting choices. Also, it was very weird to see all these actors that I knew, but much younger. Christopher Lloyd was a baby. Tim Curry was a baby. That lady that looks exactly like Susan Sarandon, but it's not Susan Sarandon. Her name is Leslie Ann Warren. Every time I see a movie with her, I was like, oh, Susan Sarandon looks so strange. Do you have that? Do you think that she looks like her? Or is it just me? I do think she looks like her, but also just in passing, because I've used to watch like a lot of Susan Sarandon movies. You were just saying that you thought there were a lot of murders and not a lot of endings. So you didn't like the movie then? It went on for too long. And also there was more murdering and like wandering around than clue finding. And the clue finding wasn't really... It was more like there wasn't much clue finding and there was just personal bickering. That's a very good point. There was no clue finding. It's like they just wandered around and then expected the viewer to put it together. Which, I mean, is a choice that you could make. But also, like, there's a lot of things happening in that film. Like, it's a very busy, 
busy, speedy film because there's like a lot of slapstick, maybe a little too much for me. A little too much for me. Yeah. And also the one ending, I hated it because he was like, I'm going to go home and fuck my wife. Exactly. I think that was when the movie went from, oh, this is fun to, uh, I'm not sure I like this anymore. Why was that even necessary? That was the third ending, the one that is supposed to be the real ending. And the character spent most of the film as a gay man. It was Mr. Green, right? He was supposed to have to be um, blackmailed because he is gay. And that plays into a lot of his storylines. And then in the end, at this one ending, he comes out as an actual detective and an FBI agent who was undercover. And ha ha ha, surprise twist, he's actually not gay at all. Fools. Okay. I mean, could he not be a detective and still be gay? Inquiring minds want to know. Probably not in 1985, I guess. I could never place the time with this movie. I guess maybe it's obvious. It feels like a 40s, 50s kind of like style. Especially because they talk about post-war, they talk about secrets and Cold War, right? So I would say between the 40s and 60s. So yeah, so I could see why they, why they would do that. But it also, in 1985, like, did you have... Really? Did you have to? 1985? Yes, they did. They did. It. The slapstick commented that wasn't really that funny anymore. Maybe it was funny in 1985. Well, actually, I read that the movie did not do that well in the box office, and it just became... A cult favorite afterwards. Is it kind of like Rocky Horror Picture Show in that sense? Which is a movie I never watched. You've never seen it? Well, I don't blame you because I fell asleep multiple times trying to watch it. So I've never seen the end. (laughs) Now I'm definitely going to get people on Twitter adding me going, what the hell? I'm sorry, guys. I fell asleep multiple times. The only thing I know about that movie is let's do the time warp again. That's literally it. And it's with Tim Curry, too. I think I came to it too early, and I didn't get it. I went up like, I was like, what's this? Can we watch Care Bears? <laughs> Don't assume that I was like four. I was like 11, and I still wanted to watch Care Bears more than the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I mean, I think this is a perfectly fine life choice. As far as Clue goes, I found most of the character acting over the top, but maybe that's the point. Indeed. I know that there is community out there who talks about this movie and has like opinions about this movie, but I didn't read any of their opinions. I wanted to discuss it first before I like went out and see what other people were saying about it because I don't want to like steal people's ideas. But I think my problem with this film, even though I liked it, it was like fun and diverting for a little while, was that I'm not sure if I'm made for these type of comedies. I have, the older I get, the more that comedy is harder for me. Even though I loved, like, say, Ghostbusters, some of the comedy in that movie was hard for me. I don't like SNL. I don't like most slapstick stuff. I'm very picky when I when I watch comedy specials. It's the parody aspect of it, right? It's very... I think parody is a very specific type of comedy that doesn't appeal to everybody. I feel like I can stomach some parodies. But like you, I'm not a huge Saturday Night Live fan. I don't get that show at all since we are like sharing our deep secrets. I think with SNL, I've liked it. I like it more in its modern version, mostly because other the older stuff has aged out of being funny, as comedy does. I just think it's a very interesting discussion avenue to think about comedy and what makes things funny and how long they stay funny. 
Comedy is so complicated as a medium. It's very much tied to its time. For example, one of my favorite comics, George Carlin, some of his comedy now, it just makes me cringe because the context where he was writing it is no longer the context. Like, we've moved on from that particular cultural moment. He sounds like what he was, which was an angry white man. So I think probably with Clue, I might have liked it more if it wasn't, like, trying to app the board game, which was really, which is really funny because that's the whole point. Like, if it wasn't trying to hew so closely to, like, a board game and, like, took itself more seriously as, like, a locked room mystery, it might have been more entertaining. So it would have been, and then there were none, by Agatha Christie, which is exactly the same setup. The fact that I went into this film with the concept of Clue as a kid's game because I just don't see kids seeing this movie in the theater in the 80s. I don't think this is a this is a kid's game. The type of adults that said that to you are probably the type of people that think that all games are infantile. Unless they are card games. It just sounds to me like this. Because I've always seen adults playing Clue. I've never associated it with a children's game. When you go to the stores here, I don't know if this is still true, but it used to be. But when you would go to the stores here, the card like the card games and board games would be in the kids section and their clue would be in the board game section. Marketed like as a children's game. I think I, I just wonder if that's changed. Because this movie was obviously made in 1985 and I grew up in the 80s and 90s. I was probably seeing the game more in the 90s and it might have changed their marketing around it. Who was your favorite character? Miss White was the widow. Yeah, I loved Miss White and I loved Miss Scarlet. I don't under like I don't understand. I mean, I guess I do understand why there had to be so many murders, but I could have done with a few less murders. That would have been fine. Of like people just wandering in from the outside into this murder house. We're already in hell. So yeah, that's uh that's my experience of Clue being very confused because this was not a kids movie as I as I as I thought it was going to be. And the only reason I thought it was going to be a kids movie is because I conceptualized the game as a kids game. And apparently it's not. Oops. It's fine. Who would have thought that we would have more to say about Demolition Man than Clue the movie? I mean, it was okay. I was knitting while I was watching it, and I can tell if I like something. If I'm knitting while I'm watching a movie, and I quit knitting to watch the movie, then I like the movie. Like, I'm interested in it. And it accomplished that goal. Hooray for me being entertained for an hour and 36 minutes. So how many space bees are you giving this one? Probably three. Yeah, me too. I mean, if you want a locked room mystery, this might be your jam. Slightly fun, slightly diverting. We will probably never watch it again. And also, where were all the clues? Nine to Five was released in 1980 and stars Jane Fonda, Lily Tumlin, and Dolly Parton. Even though it came out in the 80s, it's an incredibly timely and topical movie as three women working for a sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot accidentally find a way to hold him accountable for his actions. So what if they are of dubious legality and also incredibly racist, especially towards the ending when it comes to Brazil? of all places in the world. This movie had to go there. So as you can probably already tell, I have feelings. This was the first time I watched this movie. I had not watched it before. As I understand, Renee has a different history with 9 to 5. I knew only of the song because I've always liked Dolly Parton, but for some reason I never watched this particular movie. 
Or if I did, maybe I just completely deleted it from my brain. I do have a different history with this movie because I grew up mostly around adults. I often watched films that the adults wanted to watch. So this was one of those films. Was it on TV all the time? Did you go to the movies to see it? Well, no, we, we, we would not go to the movies in 1980. You were not born yet. You're right. I did not attend. I did not attend the movies as a zygote. We had a very small town. And then there was always like a movie rental place, like in the grocery store. And then at one point, the movie rental place was in the laundromat. And you could rent VHS tapes. And that's how we watched our movies. Also, Premiere Video was a thing when I was a kid. And it was very, like, upscale movie rental. It was just more expensive VHS tapes from farther away. That's how we defined upscale. <laughs> Needless to say, I watched this a lot as a kid, but I didn't get it because I was a kid. And I didn't have a, the concept of work. So when I came to it, when I was a little older, like a teen, I took more I took more away from it. Uh, away from it. And watching it as an adult is really surreal because this was made, it would have been made in the 70s if it was released in 1980. Nothing has changed. No, it's very in your face in terms of sexual harassment in the office, um, the way that men pass ahead or are promoted ahead of women in the workplace for like the most ridiculous reasons. Uh, women there are competent, way more competent than their male peers get just completely sidelined, gaslit, pretty much like still today, and earn less money too. So in this movie, you have three women. One of them is Lily Tomlin. She's the most competent person in the entire office. She trained all of her bosses and was uh, passed over for promotions multiple times because she's a woman. Dolly Parton is the secretary of their boss, and everybody thinks she's sleeping with him because the boss actually spread that gossip around the office. And you have Jane Fonda as a recently divorced mother who needs to find a job, and that's her first job. And they both find themselves working for the same boss, who is the aforementioned sexist, egotistical Lying, hypocritical, bigot. And then the comedy is everything that I just said. There is like, it's not funny, right? It's just like real life and it's awful. But the comedy comes from, I guess, a comedy of errors that happen when the boss has a minor accident, but one of the girls thinks she poisoned him by accident. And then, you know, they steal a cadaver from the hospital and then they kidnap the boss and so on and so forth. So much of this film I had forgotten. For some reason, I thought that it goes right from the boss falling out of his chair, hitting his head, to being kidnapped. Because Lily Tomlin's character thinks that she poisoned him with rat poison in his coffee. But no, I was wrong. There's this whole other storyline with like, stealing bodies from the hospital. The wrong bodies. Like, the misunderstandings about him being... Ill. Also, I want to point out that when they took the boss to the hospital, he wakes up after hitting his head because he didn't drink the coffee at all. He spilled it when he fell out of his chair and hit his head. The doctor wants to do x-rays to make sure he's okay. And he's like, oh, no, no, you're not going to charge me hospital fees for that. Like, I'm like, healthcare is a fucking nightmare since forever. Enough for this movie to actually use it as a fucking plot point. That's how bad U.S. healthcare is. 
the fact that it costs money to make sure that you do not have a cracked skull. Or that even if it costs money, it, it, it is a, a forbidding amount. So congratulations for that piece of comedy. U.S. healthcare sucks. He's in a room with uh, another guy who is a witness for some crime, and he has been poisoned, and the doctors are trying to save him. So the women, when they get to the hospital, all they see is like a policeman, a detective, the doctor saying the guy's dead from poison. So they make all these assumptions, steal a dead body that they think is the boss's. It's very silly. I mean, I love the three actresses. So it was really great seeing the three of them doing such a feminist movie that is at the same time is very silly because we don't get to see a lot of female comedians doing this kind of silly. But at the same time, the movie is just so silly. It is just maybe too silly. There is this whole long ass fuck scene where they are smoking pot and all three of them have a dream scenario on how to like revenge against their boss about how to murder their boss yes they are all really really long and elaborate and it's like this is too long am i just pooping on your parade i know i agree with you that those little fantasy sequences were very very long like overly long i think the only one that didn't feel like too too long was the first one judy's Mostly because it felt more self-contained. Violet's was too long because there was a lot of animated animals. Proper Disney-fied characters because she imagined a fairy tale in which she was like Snow White but also the witch because she poisoned him for reals. I do want to point out that one of those animated characters had knitting. One of the rabbits was carrying around some knitting on needles. And after Violet as Snow White slash the witch dumps the boss out of the window after poisoning him, the rabbit's knitting suddenly says, <laughs> rest in peace. There are really, really funny small details like this. Yeah. And I mean, I guess they kind of needed some filler because the actual like plot of the movie where they kidnap him, restrain him in his own home with like some very elaborate S&M and athletic equipment doesn't take that long and they do most of it in like this montage they have him restrained while they wait for some paperwork about a warehouse full of stuff because the boss surprise surprise has been you know making a little dough on the side so this warehouse is supposed to be full of stuff is no longer full of stuff the women discover this fact and they're going to blackmail him with it that way he won't tell the cops that they tried to poison him. He's convinced they tried to poison him because his administrative assistant creepily sits in the women's bathroom writing down all the gossip on toilet paper. But also the whole thing with them keeping him in the house for three days while they receive an invoice. And it's like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And probably nowadays, this invoice would, uh, would arrive in two seconds by email. But the plot works because when the movie was made, stuff like that had to be mailed. Yeah, but in the meantime, they revolutionize the office while he's trapped at home. They make some changes to the day-to-day -day work in the office that just makes things so much better than they were, more efficient, 
they make employees happier, they create a daycare center in the office, they create job share. There's also a program for flex hours where you can choose what eight hour shift you work. Which was really helpful for women who are also mothers. They uh, institute equal pay. They allow people to keep personal stuff on their desk. They make the office look beautiful and friendly and welcoming so people want to come to work and not feel like they're in a prison i would work in that office oh yeah absolutely and here's the thing right so then in the end the the boss eventually is released because their plan fails because um his wife comes home earlier sooner than expected and lets him go and he actually refused the warehouse and they don't have anything against him anymore he brings them to the office and he's about to call the police on them when the ceo and the owner of the business comes through and he sees the changes and what happens next i am not sure whether it's a huge letdown or if it's a if it's genius because it's so realistic because what happens next is that he takes all the credit for the women's work he takes all the credit the women let him do it because they're in an awful situation where if they say no it was us then he is going to you know call the police so they're trapped he hates all the changes that they made while he was gone he hates them all because he is a joyless asshole who should not be in a position of power over anybody. The chairperson of the board loves all the ideas and like travel, like looks around the office, looking at all the things the women implemented and complimenting him on them. They get to the daycare and he's like, yeah, I love forward thinking ideas like this, but we have to get rid of that equal pay. Yeah. Oh God, don't pay women equal to men. That's just not done. The movie's like making him out to be like this forward thinking guy, but also pointing out He's still a dude. He's still part of the same old boy system that the boss is part of. And then the boss gets promoted, in quotes. He gets promoted. So within the company, he gets promoted. And it's a good thing that he gets promoted. However, the way that it is shown to us, his promotion ends up being his punishment for what he has done to the women that we love. And here's where things completely derailed for me because his promotion slash punishment is that he is just sent to Brazil. And his face when he learns he's going to Brazil is just, and the women's faces is like, ha, 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 he's sent to Brazil. It's hell. I mean, I was there in the 80s in Brazil. I was already born and it wasn't hell. Maybe hell right now, but not at that time. So you're telling me that Brazil isn't 95% jungle filled with tribes. Yeah, it like makes no sense that like that kind of company where he's sent to, he should be sent to Rio de Janeiro where there is literally zero jungle or Sao Paulo or the south of Brazil. Really, we only have a forest in the north of Brazil, guys. And it's so far away from Rio. In the end, he not only gets sent there, but he also gets eaten by a tribe of Amazons and disappears forever. So what you're telling me is that the Amazon is not really close to any of the big cities where a company would put a new base of operations. Of course not. God. God. It's so lazy. There are so many movies from the 80s in which people either go to Brazil to, oh, we're going to escape and we are criminals and we are going to hide and they go to Brazil. 
which I mean, yes, okay, fine. You will probably get away with it in Brazil too. Or something like this happened and they go and they disappear in a jungle and they are eaten by Amazons. What, what, what on earth are even Amazons? Like, are you talking about the Amazons from Greek mythology? They are not in the Amazon forest. I assume there are tribes that live in the Amazon, but they have names. They do have names. They, and none of them is called the Amazons. Oh, American racism. So the ending like left me with a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth, to be honest. I didn't like the little flashcard endings. So Judy falls in love with the Xerox guy. But nothing else is said. She falls in love with the Xerox guy. They get married. I ha- always hated that. I guess they were making a statement. Like, women can do whatever they want. They can be executives. They can be homemakers. Yeah, maybe. But Judy was very competent. Like, she was very good at her job once she was trained. Why couldn't she have become a Xerox representative? Yeah, maybe her husband didn't let her. She could have fallen in love with a Xerox representative, got married, and then they could have taken their show on the road. Exactly. So many missed opportunities. I find it sad that this movie is still so topical on the subject of how women are treated in the workplace. Stuff like this happens at all levels, in all types of jobs. For example, in 2014, when I was at Target trying to get better pay because I had been stuck at like eight fifty for a long ass time. And because the economy was so bad, we would get raises, but the raises would be ridiculously low. The company was not giving out raises. I would like to point out that the CEOs of Target make a bajillion dollars. It's a, it's immoral how little Target employees got paid versus how much their executives were making rent for a different day. But just going to put it out there. So I was stuck at 850 and I was trying to get in touch with somebody who would help me like get my pay assessed for the work that I was doing. On almost every level, I was doing a similar amount of work to my manager. I actually found it funny because I trained my manager, which is not a bad thing. She was great. I literally wanted her to have that job when it came available. I didn't want the job. I did not want to be a manager at Target. No, thank you. Three months after I started trying to get this process going somewhere the hr person had lied to me three times about how to do how how to get in touch with the people who would assess my time at target the manager of the store also a woman had like vaguely threatened me to stop asking and listen i wasn't asking for a lot i was asking to go from 850 to 10 dollars i had worked there for 7 years wow They kept putting me off. They kept putting me off. And then I learned that one of the male card attendants went in to the HR office, threatened to quit, threw a big fit, and they gave him a two and a half dollar raise. Wow. After being there for a year. Wow. So he was making more money than me having been there seven years because he went in the office and threw a fit. If I went into the office and threw a fit, I would be fired. And this is why when everybody was, everybody's all like, Target is great. They hire queer people and trans people and they don't oppress them. Y'all, mm-mm. sure they hire them and then they pay them poverty wages and trap them in a sick system that they can't hardly get out of if there's no other jobs in, the, in their area available that will hire queer people. If people don't like Walmart, Target is just Walmart with nicer paint. Sorry. This got really dark. But the movie is kind of dark in that way, right? They did all this great work, 
they made this floor of this company like a very wonderful place to work. The office alcoholic got sober because of all the changes that the women put into place to help people. Timeshare, job share. All these great ideas, but the dude got the credit for it. But it's okay, Renee. He got what was coming for him. He went to Brazil and he died there. Oh my God. So with that in mind, how many space bees do you give this movie? I'm going to give it three. I'm going to give it two. That's really fair. That's higher than I thought it would be for you because that Brazil thing was just in your face. Last second sucker punch. Completely unnecessary. Nine to five got a whopping five space bees, which is average, I guess. Just like all the men in the movie were. Our Vault episodes are made possible by all of our patrons. Thanks to the following super rad folks for helping us keep Fangirl Happy Hour Vault episodes alive. Transcendenting, Daniel, Claire, KJ, Amy, Diabla, Elisa M, Brandy, Elisa, and Mark. Thanks to Brent, Amanda, Karen, Tara, Jocelyn, Jen, Margaret, Ellen, Megan, and Charlotte. Diana, Alicia, Anne-Marie, Philip, Kate, Laura, Matthew, Garrick, Kushitaj, and Laisa. Thank you. Thanks to Thaisa, Heather, Tansy, Janie, Stephanie F., Diana P., Caroline, Elizabeth, and Stephanie C. And last but not least, Mel, Junket, Louise, Rachel, Liana, Charles, Julie, Rebecca, Hedwig, Maria, and Rachel C. We appreciate all of you very much. Thanks for listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. What were your thoughts about these two pieces of media? You can message us on Twitter at FangirlPod or email us at FangirlHappyHour at gmail.com. Our podcasting team includes Ira, our show artist, and Susan, our transcript fairy. Their work's available at FangirlHappyHour.com. Our team also includes all of our newsletter subscribers, Patreon supporters, and people like you listening right now. Don't forget to drink water, contact your reps, and relax your jaw regularly. Do it right now. Wow, I just did the jaw thing. I didn't even realize it was so tense. Thanks, Renee. Everybody, please listen to Renee. Thanks for listening, Space Beats. See you next episode. plane no that's train no that's a plane oh okay i was right the first time i got i I doubted myself god damn it but look it's my new lunch pot look how cute that's cute because i have a backpack and it just fits much better than a square one and it's quite big you can have a lot of nut butter (laughs) god damn it let's do the time warp again that's the wrong movie what I really want is Miss White and Miss Scarlet as, like, a team foiling, foiling the patriarchy across the globe. Look, I'm already writing fanfic about this film. <laughs> yeah, we have to move on. 9 to 5 was released in 1980. What happened to my voice?